If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1 today. Hebrews chapter 1 and actually a little bit of 2 as well. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. These uh, verses are printed for you in the bulletin. We're beginning today a new series, uh, still in Hebrews, but not in Hebrews 11 anymore. We were there for a long time. Uh, And now we're going to go back to the beginning. Uh, I told you we were doing an unorthodox thing. We're going to do Hebrews backwards which is kind of weird, but there's a method to the madness, and I hope that you'll see it today as we begin to talk from Hebrews 1. Let me read to you 1 through 9 and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. And again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angel spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, Your throne, O God will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was at first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is God's word. Why are we going backwards in Hebrews? Well, here's the reason why. Uh, The letter to the Hebrews, or you could say it's actually a sermon written down. Uh, was written in the early days of the church to a group of Christians who were tempted to give up on Jesus. Uh, They were mostly from a Jewish background, and for different reasons, we'll get into those throughout this series in the summer, they were tempted to leave following Jesus behind and to go back to their lives in Judaism. And so the writer is trying to encourage them not to give up, to keep going. Now, just think for a minute. If you were writing a sermon or, or a letter or something to someone who was tempted to give up on Christianity, what would you focus on? What would you focus on? Uh, I think if we had to pick, we would say, well, I would focus on encouragement, uh, how to get confidence in yourself and in in what you're supposed to do. Uh, Maybe I would try to encourage them on what that person means to me and, hey, don't give up because you mean so much to me or uh, you're such an important person, right? We would focus mostly on the, I would say, psychological aspect of uh, how to avoid giving up on something. And yet that is not what Hebrews is about. Hebrews is relentlessly focused on one thing. Guess what it is? It's a Sunday school answer. You can say it out loud. 
Jesus. In fact, you know, it's, it's even greater than that. It's focused on, this is the title of our series, Jesus is better. That's what it's focused on. Jesus is better. Over and over again, he's going to tell us, Jesus is better. At the beginning of chapter 2, we just read it. He says we got to pay most careful attention to what we hear about Jesus. Why? Because if we don't, we're going to drift away from it. And so the main way to avoid drifting away, the main way to avoid giving up is to focus more on the glory of who Christ is. It's not by having a message on how to not give up that you don't give up. It's by having a series of messages, in fact, daily messages about the supremacy of Jesus, the reasons why he's just better than everything else. So where else can we go, God, but to you? This morning, he's going to give us this simple reason why Jesus is better. Jesus is better because he's God's final word to us. Jesus is better because he is God's final and last word to human beings. And so therefore, because he's God's final word, he is worthy of our most careful attention. Not just a little bit of attention, but our most careful attention. If you'll look at your bulletin, I want to talk you through three things from the passage this morning. Uh, first of all, we're going to see a danger here, a danger of drifting away from Christ. But secondly, we're going to see how God's word is like a GPS for our lives. It locates us. And lastly, we're going to see how Jesus in the Bible is the anchor for our souls. So there's a danger, there's a GPS, and there's an anchor this morning in the passage. Uh, first of all, the danger of drifting away. I don't know what you think this morning the greatest danger you face in life is. But this passage may, especially there at the beginning of chapter 2, it may give you a little bit different window into what the right answer to that is. What really is the most the greatest danger that we face. Look at what it says. We must pay the most careful attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience of it received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? The greatest danger is that we would hear God's word and it would not meet with faith in the heart. And instead of meeting with faith in the heart, it would go in one ear and out the other. And slowly but surely over the course of our lives, we would drift from where God has called us to be. That's the greatest danger, that you would drift from the place God wants you to be. That you would drift from being the person that God has called you to be. That's the greatest danger. It's greater than any financial thing. It's greater than any physical thing. It's greater than any social thing. This is the greatest danger because it involves life and death. It involves heaven and hell. It involves God, the creator of all things, and who we were made by God, the creator of all things, to be for him and with him. The great thing, not the, really the not great thing about drifting is you don't notice it while it's happening. We all love to go to the beach, right? Anybody love to go to the beach? We live in Florida after all. You can go to some, in my opinion, as a Florida native, the most beautiful beaches in the world are an hour and a half away from us right here this morning. Right? Have you ever had this experience? You go to the beach with your family, you set up your chairs, you set up your tent, you go right out onto the water, you start playing, floating, talking, and 30 minutes later you look up and your chairs are gone. <laughs> and you're like, somebody stole our chairs. And you realize, wait a minute, but our condo's also gone. Somebody stole our condo. 
Oh, no, wait a minute. You look down, you scan the shoreline, and you realize 150 yards down that way or this way are your chairs, where you put them, and the condo where it was built. What happened? You drifted. You didn't know you drifted. And at 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, however long it was, little bit by little bit, you were being moved by an unseen current, a barely even feelable current sometimes. And you were being moved from where you originally set out to go. That's what the author means by saying we need to pay careful attention lest we drift away. If you're at the beach and you have kids with you like I do, I pay more careful attention to that whole current drifting thing because sometimes my wife and I will be sitting up there chilling and we'll realize, wow, our kids are still, you know, our kids are 100 yards that way. It happens like that, doesn't it? And so as a parent, you learn to lock in to the problem of drift. Y'all, no one ever woke up ever in their life, no one in this universe, maybe one or two people, I don't know, woke up and said, you know what? I'm going to have an affair today and wreck my marriage and ruin my kids' lives. No one ever woke up and said, you know what? Today I'm going to walk away from Jesus because I'm tired of following him. No one ever said, oh, today I'm going to start doubting God. No one ever did that. How did it happen then? Slow movements over time that the person hardly noticed until one day they woke up and, wow, they had already drifted. They had already had the affair. They had already dove headlong into sin. And they didn't even realize they had gotten there. That's the danger of drifting away. It's the whole story of the frog in the kettle. You know, you think about that. Remember that story of Aesop's fable where the frog is put in the kettle and apparently you don't cook a frog in a kettle uh, by starting it hot. I don't know. I've never cooked a frog in a kettle. But apparently you start it cold, you throw the frog in, and you slowly turn the temperature up so that the frog doesn't even notice it's getting warmer until he's cooked. Same thing with our spiritual lives. Satan knows this, you know. Satan knows this. The world knows this. All, all of us should know this. No one drifts into holiness, but we all drift into sin. Listen to the rest of Don Carson's quote. I just read one sentence to you at the beginning of the service. Uh, people don't drift into holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, and obedience to Scripture. Faith and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. That's a butt-kicking quote, right? Because it reminds us, it reminds us of how slowly spiritual ruin can happen. Therefore, I say to you this morning from this passage, it is the greatest danger that you face. Every single one of us need to take a shoreline check every now and then. Do you know this morning you need a shoreline check? You need to look up, scan the horizon, and figure out where you're at with the Lord. You say, well, how do I know? It's not like I can just literally look up and see Jesus has drifted from me, and I've drifted from Jesus. You can't just physically look up and see it. How do you know? Here's some tests, and I'll list them, and you can write them down. And I'm not only going to say a few words about each. 
First, is there a growing gap between your public life and your private life? Is there a growing gap between your public life and your private life? That's an indication you're drifting slowly, imperceptibly, but really drifting. It can happen in one of two ways. It can be you only do public things for the Lord and no private things. Like you come to church and pray, but you don't pray at home. And Jesus says, that's hypocrisy. That's a clear indication hypocrisy has gotten into my heart and gotten into your heart. But it could also work the other way. You know, I'm doing all this stuff to, to have a private relationship, but I'm neglecting the people of God. I'm neglecting the public gatherings of God's people, which God commands me to do. And there is also there a gap that indicates there is a drift in the heart. In fact, most of the time when we think we're cultivating private spirituality, but we're not cultivating public, we're really not cultivating private spirituality. That's actually usually the case if we're willing to truly admit it and truly assess ourselves according to Scripture. Gap between public and private life. Secondly, do you lack patience with the details of God's Word? Do you lack patience with the details? Do you say, you know what, I've read the Bible before, I don't need to read it again. I mean, I know the basic story of Jesus and dying on the cross and born in a manger, and I know all that stuff. I know about the resurrection. Why do I need to learn all the things in the Bible? Listen, here's why you need to learn all the things in the Bible. Because the Bible, we're going to see in a minute, paints you the most awesome, detailed portrait of Jesus Christ. Every word of it, every drop of it that you can possibly drink out of Scripture, you need to drink. Because if you don't, if you don't pay most careful attention, he says, you will drift away. If I don't see new angles of the glory of my Savior Jesus, I'm going to lose my love and delight in Jesus. And if I lose my love and delight in Jesus, I'm going to lose my desire to, to follow him and live for him and to just fight to show up for him. And so I need daily to come back again and again to the scripture. I cannot lack patience in the details. I need to come saying, God, show me whatever it is you've revealed. If you revealed it, it's worth me knowing. If, you're, if you've revealed it, it's worth my effort in trying to know it. Here's the third one. Is God more of a means to an end than he is an end? Is there a gap between public and private life? Do you lack patience with the details of God's word? Or is he more of a means to an end rather than an end in himself? I think this catches us all, right? Do we come to God more for what he can give us, do for us, be for us, than we do come just simply to be with him? Simply to know him, glorify him, enjoy him. I would argue to you this morning that the answer to those three questions is not hard to perceive if you ask yourself honestly. But what's hard to perceive is that underneath a yes answer is a spiritual drift that can actually lead you to being lost at sea. It's very dangerous. It's very important that we check the shoreline. It's important that you understand which of these signs you see and why. And the remedy is always coming back to Scripture, coming back to the Jesus that is displayed to us in such glory in the scriptures. And so let's look at these, these next two points. Uh, first of all, the Bible becomes for us a GPS to locate us when we're drifting. That's what a GPS does, right? It locates. Uh, if you've ever downloaded an app on your phone, which I know you have, it'll always ask you, do you want to enable location services? Have you seen that? And basically what that means is, do you want the people who made this app to know where you are at all times? And I can't still figure out why I would click yes to that, but I do sometimes click yes to that. 
because they're using the GPS in the phone to, to track your movements, right? So that they can know how to advertise and all kinds of stuff. And also so that different features of the app would be usable based on location. It's a pretty cool thing. It's great technology. But you also know if you've ever used your phone as a GPS, it's not always exactly accurate. Uh, like if you've ever lost your phone and you use the find my phone feature or if you lost your Apple Watch, you use the find my Apple Watch and it tells you it's sitting somewhere at your neighbor's house. Has that ever happened to you? That happened to me actually just this week. It said it's at my neighbor's house. I was like, well, that's need to know information. If that's true, uh, come to find out it was not true. It was actually my house, but the GPS could only work so so perfectly and it it kind of blended together my location and my neighbor's location and it showed me at my neighbor's house <laughs> gps's can be faulty look at what it says there in verses one through three of chapter one it says that god has been speaking from the beginning of time his word has been given his word is being collected and his word is the least faulty gps that has ever been known to man. It's a spiritual GPS. It can locate you in the world. It can show you where you are, where you're supposed to be going, and why you're supposed to be going there, and it shows it to you because it came from God. It shows it to you with perfection. No error, no possibility that will ever lead you into error. Isn't that a marvel? Look at what it says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After Jesus had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What a marvel. Let's just stop for a minute and just marvel at that, what it says there. First of all, just recognize God really is there. He's there. And I don't just mean like he's out there somewhere. He's, he's here. He's there. He's with us. He's actively working in the world. In the past, he was active. He sent prophets. He sent angels to bear messages. At many times, in various ways, it's almost like however God ha could get to us, he tried to get to us. When you read the Old Testament, he's even got donkeys talking. I mean, he's got some crazy ways of trying to communicate to people because he wants us to hear his message. And now, as if the greatest of all things, he sent his very son, the son of God become flesh, the very word of God himself in the flesh to speak and act and die on the cross and rise from the dead so that we could locate ourselves before the glorious God. And recognize that God in all of his glory yet still wants a relationship with people like us. So much so that he wouldn't spare his own son to get it. To draw us to himself. That's how the Bible locates you. I don't know what it is you use in your life to locate yourself. I, I can name some of the things I've used in the past. You know, we, we tend to locate ourselves by maybe our family and our heritage, our background. It's not an evil thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. Like, you know, I'm a McMahon, and 
being a McMahon means certain things, and I'm proud of that, and I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going, and we can try to locate ourselves by family heritage. Sometimes it's by race or, or ethnicity, or other times it's by politics, and my political views, and who I voted for or didn't vote for. Sometimes we locate ourselves by our jobs, and how well we do at our jobs, and Sometimes we locate ourselves by our achievements, our education, our fashion even. <laughs> you can locate yourself in this world through a lot of different means. But guess what? Every one of those things has one thing in common. It locates you by not really locating you. It's as if a GPS came up and you, you pulled up your GPS and it says... You, all it said was, you are where you are. <laughs> Can you imagine if your phone told you that? You, you pulled up maps. Siri, where am I? You are where you are. Is that helpful? No. Not at all. I, I knew that already. I'm trying to figure out where I am. And you're saying I am where I am. Well, that doesn't even make sense. And every time we try to locate ourselves on the basis of a created thing, a finite thing, a, a temporary thing. It's locating us on the basis of our own location. It's saying, well, you are where you are. It doesn't give me any sense of direction in my life. It doesn't give me any sense of really where I am supposed to be headed, what kind of person I really am supposed to be, made in the image of God, washed by the blood of Jesus. It's just simply a statement of, I am where I am. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. Doesn't make sense. But when you turn to the Bible and you see Jesus there revealed to you, the Son of God, showing the very glory of God, the exact representation of his character, you begin to learn how to locate yourself before the one who is infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one who created us to glorify him and enjoy him forever. The one who calls us into a personal covenant relationship with him on the basis of his son's death and his son's resurrection. Now that locates me. That puts the dot exactly where I am and shows me exactly where I need to go and how much it's going to take to get there. That's a good GPS that every single one of us need in our lives. This morning, will you lay down those other ways of locating yourself? Will you disable location services on all the other created things in your life? Will you do that? That's what Jesus actually is calling you to do. If you're a believer in Jesus, that, that's his call in your life. That every time a created thing comes in as a blessing, you would give thanks for it and, and, and uh, steward it well, but that you would disable location services on it. So that you're not trying to derive your whole meaning in life from it. And that instead you would enable location services on God's word. The word that he gave through the prophets, the word that he gave through the angels, and most of all the word that he gave through his very own son. Lastly this morning, Jesus in the scripture is an anchor for our souls. The reason why it says you must pay most careful attention lest you drift away the reason why it says if they didn't escape, talking about Old Testament Israel, uh, when they were disobedient to a message that came through angels, do you think we're going to escape if we're disobedient to a message that comes through the Son of God? The reason it says that, it's wanting to highlight just how amazing Jesus is 
and how worthy he is for us to anchor our very lives in him. The best way to keep a boat from drifting is what, Bob? An anchor. That's simple. I, I asked Bob because he's Captain Bob. I, I, I've been with Bob on a boat, and he's a good captain. He knows how to anchor a boat. If you don't want to drift, you anchor. You better anchor well, too, right? You can't just anchor in mud. you got to anchor on something more solid. Jesus is the most solid anchoring place for our souls. In the past, it says God spoke through prophets. And prophets were just people. They were just folks like me and you. They were sinners. Uh, they failed sometimes to say what they should have said. They sometimes said more than they should have said. They, they disobeyed God sometimes. It says even that God spoke the message through angels. Now, angels didn't sin, but angels are still just creatures. In fact, the Bible says over and over, angels are just servants, messengers, sent by God on errands. But Jesus is greater. He's greater than a prophet because he doesn't just declare and announce. Jesus delivers. A prophet says, this is what God will do. Get ready. Jesus says, Behold your God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, standing right in front of you. And what I do is bringing the kingdom at this very moment. Isn't that amazing? An angel is just a servant serving the Lord. Jesus reigns, it says. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus reigns over everything. And he reigned so that he could give his word to us and his spirit to us so that we could have a face-to-face -face personal relationship with him. When you read the stories of Jesus in the Bible, which you should do if you've never done that, if you're, if you're here and you're watching and you're, you're not sure if you believe in Jesus, the very first thing you should do is go to either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and just read it. Just read it. Whether you read it fast, whether you read it slow, it doesn't matter, just read it. Because you're going to see exactly what Jesus did from the source. And over and over again, you're going to see when he visited people, they knew they were in the presence of God. Even people who were his enemies kind of knew that. They were in the presence of something special. He actually healed people. He didn't just announce healing. He made the blind see and the lame walk. He, rose the dead. he raised the dead and he himself was arisen from the dead on, on Easter Sunday. He actually forgave people their sins. He actually turned people from lives that were against God to being servants and faithful sons and daughters of God. Jesus did marvels. Jesus did wonders because Jesus was and is a marvel and a wonder. Let me give you a little, little piece of theology this morning. Maybe even of Christology, if you want a fancy word. Jesus is the eternal son of God who never had a beginning. Everything that's true of the Father is God and of the Holy Spirit is God is true of Jesus as God. He was before anything else was. The whole universe was called into being through the word of his power and was made for the Son's glory. Jesus, this very moment, upholds the universe by the word of that same power. Now this great and glorious Son of God, which I can't profess to explain how the Trinity works in all of its details, but this great and glorious Son of God actually was conceived in the womb of a woman named Mary. 
literally became a human being and was, and was born, grew up through all the stages of life, and actually walked among us, talked among us. Uh, he, was, he was so tall, and so, he weighed so much. His hair was a certain color. His eyes were a certain color. He had a certain personality. A real human being, and yet at the same time, fully God. He didn't cease to be God, and him being God didn't stop him from being 100% man. That's a little bit of Christology for you. It's, it's amazing. You say, why do I need to know that? You can't follow Jesus unless you know Jesus. You can't be married to someone in a healthy way unless you know him. And Jesus is actually offering you a marriage, an intimate union, a, a, a binding together of your life with his it's not enough. I've heard this many times. Someone says, you know, I don't need all that stuff. I don't need to go to church or read the Bible. I mean, all I need to do is just try to do what Jesus said to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm a Christian because I try to love my neighbor as myself. My answer is no. No, that's not what a Christian is. First of all, I think you're deluded to think that you actually do love your neighbor as yourself. You haven't actually looked at your life. Secondly, in order to listen to Jesus and actually try to do what he says, you also have to listen to the parts that he says, like, I and the Father are one. I have been sent into the world to save the lost. I am the good shepherd, he says, who lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep know my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. You cannot separate a relationship with him from obedience to him. You cannot be a Christian unless you look at the glory of what God has revealed in the Bible and all of its facets. I'm not saying you've got to know everything. You can't know everything in the Bible. But you've got to at least come to the Bible open to know more and more detail about your Savior. Because it's those details, if you fix your eyes on it, that's going to keep you from drifting away from the Lord. Just like we know, texting while driving is bad, right? We all know that. Even if we do it, we know it. Because Why? You're looking here instead of there. Here instead of there. And it turns out what you look at is really important when you're driving. It's also really important in life. You don't become a strong Christian who doesn't give up on the faith by thinking about being a strong Christian not giving up on the faith. You become a strong Christian not giving up on the faith by looking at Jesus. Making a beeline to Jesus every time you open the Bible. Coming to church saying, show me Jesus. It doesn't matter whatever else I get or don't get from the service. It might not be my cup of tea. It doesn't matter. Just give me Jesus. Because that's what I need. That's the thing that's going to really build me up. You say, well, how do I know that I'm coming like that? Well, coming to Jesus like that is coming with empty hands. You know, it's, it's me finally saying, God, I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing of my own merit to give to you so that you would have to bless me. I have no merit. I have demerit. I'm coming like this for you to fill my hand with your work to purify me from my sins. It's coming with open ears. Oh, God, tell me whatever you want to tell me and I'll listen. It doesn't matter if it's convenient for me. It doesn't matter if I'm naturally interested in it. Tell me what you want to tell me and I will hear it. It's coming with a soft heart. Lord, I don't want to grieve you. I love you because you're my Savior and I want to listen to you. I don't want to not do what you tell me to do. I want to come willing. It's coming with an active mind. God, I may not be the smartest person in the room, but Lord, you have created me to understand every word that comes from your mouth. 
Help me to understand. It's coming with uplifted arms. My life belongs to you completely. I want to worship you. And also, Lord, I want to offer my arms and hands to you in service and in obedience to you. Every one of us need a shoreline check, like we said at the beginning. We need to look and make sure we're really where God has called us to be. And the main answer to that is, how near are you to Jesus as he's revealed in the scripture? And the remedy, every place in our lives where we see a little drift happen, the remedy is always this, always this. You must pay the most careful attention to what you have heard. It's not a hard thing. It even might seem like a little bit of a letdown to hear this, but the solution is the Bible. <laughs> it's just the Bible. Say, well, what? There's got to be more to it than that. I said, no, because the Bible gives you the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, the one who sustains all things by his powerful word, the way for sinners like me and sinners like you to be perfectly purified forever. What are you paying most careful attention to in your life today? Hmm? Where is it leading you? Don't you think Jesus is better? <laughs> Let's pray.